the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Uh, Yes, indeed. And on the 14th of December, wishing you a Merry Christmas. We are just, uh, what, uh, 10 10 days away. Wow. So uh, maybe you're heading off to do some Christmas shopping tonight. If so, um, I'd like to submit my shopping list. (laughs) No, we won't. We won't do that, too. Hey, your friendship hanging out on uh, an evening after five o'clock is the only uh, Christmas gift I need and it's always a great delight and privilege to spend some time with you as we do each and every evening at this time for lo these many 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 years some listeners say yeah too many Roberts Anyway, we got a great show planned for you today. I want to start off by saying um, Bay Area Rescue Mission. Hey, we are um, excited of the opportunity to be able to make a difference in the lives of folks around the Bay Area that are a lot less fortunate than you and I. Uh, it isn't to say that a lot of folks don't struggle. Certainly they do. But when you hear about families that, that literally are trying to decide whether or not they're going to you know, pay the electric bill or, um, you know, pick up medicine for the kids or um, do uh, a round of grocery shopping. It's it's sad, and uh, it's kind of the, uh, the sign of our times, I suppose, and therefore the reason why partnering with the Bay Area Rescue Mission critically important right now during the Christmas season. Uh, so many families that are hurting in and around the Bay Area, one of the most expensive places in the world. In fact, a recent survey came out, top 10 most expensive cities on the planet, And you think Rome, Paris, right? Berlin. And maybe they're on the list, but I can tell you definitively that three cities in the United States, no, three cities in California, no, three cities in the Bay Area made the list of the top 10 most expensive places in the world. You want to bet that San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose, yep, all three made the list. So we think about that and folks less fortunate than you and I, uh, be mindful as you pray for them and then stand with the Bay Area Rescue Mission. That grant challenge still available, doubling your gift today. So a contribution of $50 with that matching grant will provide Christmas boxes of hope to two needy families that will surprise supply on average about 25 meals per family. During the holidays, the mission will distribute over a thousand boxes of hope. So be a part of the Christmas miracle and take advantage of that grant challenge that doubles your giving today. You can go online and give your gift right now at kfax.com. Click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage. Again, at kfax.com. Proposition's not 19. Passed a couple, three years ago. It's sort of the classic, what the big print giveth, the small print taketh away. We often talk to the folks at the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association that are working to repeal a portion of Proposition 19. Now, it was touted as the Property Tax Portability Bill. 
We're going to allow folks that are 55 plus to take their current tax rate, go buy a different house of equal value in another county, and carry the tax rate with them. Well, that's nice. What they didn't tell you with that fine print part, that the heirs, the children and grandchildren who have received a home from grandfolks or from mom and dad, they're being taxed right out of their homes because you've got one year from the date the doctor says, we're sorry to inform you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa have passed away. You've got one year to move into that home and call it yours. Or they reevaluate and there would be a current market valuation on that property, which means you inherited the home, you inherited grandma, grandpa, mom, or dad's tax rate. That will just, poof, disappear, and you'll be right up there as if you just bought the house fresh off the market Tuesday. Wow. Pretty rough. And it really puts a spotlight on the broader issue of just how critically important it is to be mindful of estate planning and to realize that the laws are changing. They are evolving. And so just because you did it once, this is not a one-and-done kind of proposition by any means. Your family circumstances change, so your estate planning needs to change. And as the laws change, making sure that what you wrote in that plan a year ago, five years ago, 10, 20 years ago, is still appropriate and applicable, both in the eyes of the law and for your circumstances. So what are the pitfalls? What are the things that you need to be mindful of as we um, head into a new year? This really needs needs to be an agenda item for you. If you care about leaving a financial legacy for your children or grandchildren or making sure that um, the kind of financial stewardship that's important to you is is there in place and that your wishes, once you're no longer here, are going to be respected, then you need to have a plan in place. But what sort of a plan? Well, let's get some insights. We're joined by an expert in this arena. He has a practice devoted to the area of estate planning. He's a member of Phi Beta Kappa, the American Bar Association, of course, California State Bar, San Francisco Estate Planning Council, and the Society of Financial Service Professionals. And I haven't even named them all, but a delight to have join us today, estate planning attorney Frank Parrish. Frank, welcome. Merry Christmas. Greg Roberts, a sincere pleasure to be with you again. Boy, Frank, this is such a, a complicated aspect of the law, and I think a lot of folks that maybe uh, on the periphery have heard terms like wills and living trusts and think, well, you know, I, I just jotted down on a piece of paper and I, I should be good to go. Or, you know, yeah, I, I think mom and dad, they, they did a will about 30 years ago, so I, it was nothing for us to worry about. Spend a few minutes, if you would, first just sort of at the top little level, educating people on some of the complexities and some of the differences between these different legal modalities related to estate planning and making sure that your wishes are carried out once you're gone. Well, I I believe the beginning point for people uh, to recognize several different considerations. Many times people are, are scared to death over taxation, but today... The issue of estate taxation really is not the motivating factor in doing estate planning. From the standpoint that uh, two decades ago, the exemption from estate tax was dramatically reduced. Today, a single individual in 2023 can have an estate of over 
$12,920,000 that is a single individual and pay zero estate tax. In addition, that will increase next year in excess of $13 million. Adding to that, California has no inheritance tax. We haven't had for several decades, and it's very unlikely that we will have in the foreseeable future. So you come back and say, well, wait a minute. If you don't have any estate tax issues and there's no taxation considerations, then am I not home scot-free? And the answer is no, because you come back to that very basic point of saying those who fail to plan plan to fail. And we see it day in and day out in this law practice. The issue of estate planning, and I share with clients time and time again, the most difficult issues are not tax related. They are all personal. And the reason why is because personal decisions, and I'm not a moral relativist and you know me very well, but many times when I sit down with clients and they begin with filling out a questionnaire, which causes people, when you write things down, it causes you to begin to think through things more clearly. But basic questions such as, who do you want as the guardian for your child? And that's critically important for young married couples with minor children becomes more important with young minor with younger couples with minor children to have a will than it is for individuals my own age because the guardian provisions are only contained in a will they are not contained in a trust now am i saying that a trust isn't important the complete antithesis if you have an estate plan Nine out of ten times, you should have a separate document, whether you're married or single, called a revocable living trust. And focus on those three words, beginning, revocable, meaning you can change it, you can modify it during your lifetime. Living, it's established during your lifetime versus a will which only becomes effective at date of death. A trust is effective immediately and it transcends death and can continue on for a spouse, for children, for grandchildren, however you want to structure it. But thirdly, it is a trust. It is a separate document from your will. The person, pardon me, trust can be created by married individuals or a single. The person who creates them is called the settlor. The manager of the assets is the trustee And those who receive benefits are the beneficiaries. And primarily, you can be the three-in-one, just as the Trinity. You can be the creator of the trust, you can be the manager, and you are also the lifetime beneficiary. The great thing of a trust is, not only can you be the beneficiary for your lifetime, but at your date of death, it can continue on, whether it is for a spouse, whether it is for children, grandchildren, not that it can go on in perpetuity forever, but it can go on a great deal longer than simply leaving things outright. And the main process that I go through with clients in meeting with them, and I I think you know well enough in having worked with me in the past, 
I don't like to be told what to I do not like to be told what to do and I understand that no client cares to be told what to do. My goal as an attorney is not telling an individual what to do, but I view it as alerting them to what planning options they have. You know, that's so and critically important too, Frank, because to to understand not only in terms of what the options are, to make sure that you have multiple layers of contingencies because what we put in place today that seems to make perfect sense can change in the twinkling of an eye. It doesn't even have to be a matter of, well, the trust document is 30 years old, people that are in there are dead. I mean, it, it can be something Simply and simple as a child is suddenly making some wrong decisions. Well, you had designated them as your successor trustee. Now you're questioning their judgment. Is there a plan in place? Or what What happens if you say, here's the person that I've designated to be my successor trustee who's going to manage all of this uh, upon my passing, and that individual predeceits you? What happens? Well, so many of these aspects, and I think you're, you're hopefully getting starting to get the picture that this is not one and done, as I suggested in my opening remarks, that there are layers of complexities. Now, the good news is that there are experts like Frank Parrish available that can help walk you through, guide you through, give you a really good sense as to what your options are so that ultimately you can make decisions for yourself that carries out your wishes, and most importantly, is best for what you want to accomplish with the estate that you have worked so hard to establish. Joining me today, estate planning attorney Frank Parrish, devoted to the area of estate planning, as we mentioned, for many, many years. And um, we're going to unpack some of the layers of the complexities and um, help you understand that sometimes... For example, even establishing a trust, well, that's just that's just kind of step A. What happens if you establish the trust but then don't retitle assets? We'll talk about that next. We'll continue our conversation. Frank Parrish, our guest today. Information, by the way, on the web at parrishestatelaw.com. That's parrishestatelaw.com. A time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. So not too long ago, a um, acquaintance of mine lost a parent. And, uh, you know, after the funeral services and so forth and uh, happened to, to touch bases just to see uh, how they were doing after uh, after the parent had passed. And uh, said, well, you know, we're in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, working on the estate and so forth. OK. And then I uh, happened to run into them like six months later and said, so, you know, you pretty much got everything wrapped up. Oh, you won't believe what a mess I have. This is going to be years to untangle it. I said, well, what? What happened? So, well, um, it it would seem as if mom did put together a trust, but after signing the documents, they got you know put away in the closet on the shelf and forgotten about, and nothing else ever took place. And whatever attorney that they were working with at the time, 
either failed to remind them or inform them or whatever that it's not just a matter of reducing everything down into writing as to what your wishes are, but then you have to make sure that once you've created that trust that you do something called funding it. And if you miss out on that big step, dependent upon the nature of the asset, as we're going to learn from estate planning expert and attorney Frank Parrish, uh, that can be a, a big problem and it can welcome you to probate court whether you want to be there or not. And maybe, Frank, you can shed some light on why that is and why, in my example of this friend, that they wound up having such a big mess on their hands because, you know, mom thought, well, we've signed the document here. What do you mean I have to do more? Sure. The the main consideration, Craig, that you've alerted listeners to is the fact a person may have beautifully drafted document. And I'll come back and say, you know, it isn't worth the paper on which it is printed unless it is funded. And the term funding is just analogous to retitling or coordinating assets. So if a person establishes a trust, then the point is you need to fund it. In other words, retitle if you have a home and it's titled in, say, you're unmarried and it's in your name alone, and you have a grant deed to that property, well, you need to have a new deed prepared, transferring it into your name as trustee of your revocable living trust or a married couple. And this applies to all real estate that you own. And in doing that, one, you avoid probate if it's titled in the trusted date of death. Two, none of the distribution provisions of that trust are public record like it would be under a will. Three, if you become incapacitated during your lifetime, you avoid the need for any form of conservatorship or guardianship or court-appointed administration of an incapacitated individual's affairs. So these are just the lifetime benefits by titling the property into the trust. That deals with real estate. Then we go one step further. We say, well, what about bank accounts? Those should be titled in the trust as well, as well as brokerage accounts, uh, any type of other investments, with the exception of IRAs, pension plans, retirement accounts. Those investments, IRAs, pension plans, 401k plans, they cannot be titled in a trust. You can name the trust as a beneficiary, but the account that itself, an IRA, cannot be titled in a trust. So in those areas where you're dealing with clients that primarily have retirement accounts, you say, okay, the account remains in your name alone. However, who is named as the beneficiary? Say it's a married couple. We say, well, we've named each other, husband, wife, as beneficiaries. I am a beneficiary of my wife's IRA, and she's a beneficiary of mine. But if your spouse is deceased, then who is the contingent beneficiary? Well, gee, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that issue ever came up. That it is a critical issue. So 
Not only do clients need to retitle assets that can be titled in a trust funded properly, but then with regards to non-trust assets such as IRAs or 401k plans, you want to make sure that not only is there a beneficiary on those particular accounts, but also they have named a contingent, an alternate or a secondary beneficiary. And, and let me ask you this to help clarify the understanding of listeners. When we talk about funding a trust, uh, more, yes. more, perhaps more accurately put is to not confuse people, to, to retitle the assets. If, for example, we have a house, and the house is right now in the name of John and Mary Smith as either tenants in common or joint tenancy, I establish a, a, a trust, but then I never go and have it retitled through the local uh, county office, wherever in your you know your your particular district those property records are held, usually at the, at the county seat, and the house remains not in the trust of the X Y Z family, Mister and Mrs. Jones, but rather in their names as individuals or joint tenants. Does that effectively then put it outside of the trust, and then force by law that it has to be then? under the supervision of the probate court upon death? Well, several things can happen. Number one, if it's titled in joint tenancy, which normally would be joint tenancy with right of survivorship, it automatically passes to the surviving joint tenant. And at the death of the first joint tenant, hey, it does avoid probate. It automatically passes to that surviving joint tenant. Many individuals are confused in thinking joint tenancy with right of survivorship is a way of avoiding probate. Well, that's partly true. It does avoid probate at the death of the first joint tenant. But now, date of death of the surviving joint tenant, if that joint tenant hasn't done anything, in other words, if that property still remains just in that survivor's name alone, at his or her date of death, it is going to go through probate. If it's a husband and wife and they own a grantee or a property and it's titled in their names and they've established a revocable trust and they fail to retitle their property into the trust, there's a strong likelihood that it will go through probate if it's owned in any other form than joint tenancy. And this is a great deal of the time that we spend in working with, especially with married couples, asking how do you own your assets? Do you own them in joint tenancy? Do you own them in community property? Do you own them as tenants in common? And for a married couple in California, and we're in a community property state. However, joint tenancy and community property, and I repeat that, joint tenancy and community property are not one and the same. Community property clearly has major income tax benefits over joint tenancy, and that is date of death of the first spouse with community property, both halves receive for income tax purposes a step up in income tax cost basis. So the survivor could sell the asset, sell the real estate, and pay zero income tax. And few people are aware of that. Joint tenancy, you do not get that double step up. If you create a trust, we do 
typically a property agreement that says, even though it may appear in joint tenancy, it's our intent that it be treated as community property, and then we transfer it into the trust, and you've transferred the asset into the trust to avoid probate, it's community property, it gets a 100% step up in cost basis at the date of death of either spouse, and at the same time, that transfer into the trust does not trigger any reassessment under Prop 13. Now, let me complicate things for a moment, because I think some people listening are are going to be fascinated or maybe troubled by this. Let's change the scenario just slightly. The owners of the property are not married. Maybe it is a brother and sister, or maybe business associates. They own a piece of property. Let's say they've got a piece of residential rental property. They've owned it together for many, many years. They think both of our names are on this. My intention is, you know, when I die, I'm, I'm happy for my half to go to my business partner or someone else. Uh, Because it's not in a trust and because they are not married, does that trigger a step up in the property tax basis for at least half the value of the house upon date of death? Uh, You have that potential that, well, let's look at it from several vantage points. It depends upon what which tax are we talking about. Are we talking about reassessment of property tax? Correct. Are we talking Correct. about, or are we talking about uh, uh, income tax step up in cost basis? No, no, just, just, just start with simple, just the, the, just the uh, property tax. The, the property tax scenario, there's a very strong likelihood there would be a reassessment of the property at the death of the first co-tenant, because it's not going to a surviving spouse, it's not going to a family member, and they may not be residing in that property. So I, I hate to sound like the typical attorney, it all depends, but it really does. But And then adding to that is the further complication that the person will say, well, I I want it to pass to, you know, my business partner or to the person with whom I'm residing, whatever. But if you don't have it titled, for example, in that situation, joint tenants with right of survivorship, suppose you have a tenants in common, your half, the, the date of death of the first co-tenant the co-tenant's half of the property will end up going through probate. So, you know, the the issues are unbelievably complicated, and many times clients create these situations not intentionally. They can get themselves into unbelievably complex situations, not out of any intent to create complexity, but it's just the nature of the beast. And you know, Frank, what what just absolutely alarms me is that sometimes there are examples, and I'm sure you run into this in your practice all the time, where people have spent a lifetime working hard, scrimping, saving, paying taxes, uh, paying interest, things of this sort, to to build an estate, to to, to build some assets that they want to pass on to their, their son or daughter or to their favorite charity 
or the cat, you know, whatever it might be. And then when it comes to such matters as the legal basis related to one's passing, think that getting something online for $35 is, well, it said it's applicable in the state of California. I thought, why spend all this money for an attorney? I just, I went to the NOLO Press website, not to pick on NOLO Press. They provide a lot of great stuff. But this is probably not an area where you want to spend $35 for an online document to manage your assets, which if you own a home in California, even if it's a shack, it's probably worth three quarters of a million dollars. So I hope you're getting the idea here that um, this is not something that you want to go it alone. You really need to have an attorney that is not a, a, a generalist and everything. In other words, if, you're, if your attorney is suing somebody for, you know, a dog bite on Tuesday, a slip and fall on Thursday, um, and, uh, you know, copyright violation on Friday, probably not your guy or gal. You need to have somebody who really understands the complexities of the law, the multiple layers, and also can coach you through to make sure that as your life changes, your estate plan changes with it, as the law changes, that you're able to adapt to that, and that every single I is dotted and T is crossed, as Frank Parrish just alluded to a few moments ago. It's one thing to go through all the time, all of the investment, to prepare a living will or an estate plan and then simply never get around to titling any of the assets in the name of the trust and all of a sudden you find yourself staring, or not you, but whoever your executor is, staring in front of a judge, uh, you know, in, in probate. That was never your intention, but because you didn't follow through, suddenly you find, or your state finds itself there anyway. It's it's complex. The state planning attorney, Frank Parrish, with us tonight. By the way, if you want to get um, information from Frank about your circumstances, maybe you're one of those people that has not had uh, a a review of your estate plan in years and there's been marriages and new grandkids have shown up and maybe even the tragedy of a divorce you've not looked at the way things are titled everything from your iros your 401k plan um, certainly your estate plan or insurance plans insurance policies things of that sort as well as just making sure that what you intended to do is actually going to take place then reach out to frank you can find him online at parish estate law Dot com. That's P-A-R-R-I-S-H, Parish Estate Law. Com. And you'll find Frank not only very knowledgeable, but a, a great guy to talk to. And as he said early on, uh, it's not to, to try to force his will or tell you what to do, but rather to make sure you understand the totality of the options, the risks, the contingencies, so you make the right decision to make sure that your desires are going to be fulfilled when you're no longer with us. A time out back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Our visit today with estate planning attorney Frank Parrish. Information available again on the web at Frank, I'm sorry, at parishestatelaw.com. That's parishestatelaw.com. And Frank, if folks just want to jot down a telephone number, what's a good way to reach you by phone? Sure. The main number of the law office is 925-588-0300. That's 925-588-0300. Excellent. 925-588-0300. We're again online at Parish Estate Law. 
com. Let's talk about contingencies for a moment. And I kind of alluded to this earlier. You know, oftentimes uh, parents will sit down, they will make a decision as to who they want to manage the trust uh, once they pass away, uh, divide assets, things of this sort. It's probably not uncommon in a lot of families to say, well, you know, uh, of course, the, the oldest child is going to be in charge. But what happens if you make that decision when you establish your estate plan and then 20 years later, you haven't revisited that document and it's hidden in a corner somewhere, you know, collecting dust. And that child is now proven to be pretty irresponsible or uh, they maybe are, are dealing with issues in life that would be so overwhelming because they've got, you know, uh, challenges within a marriage relationship of their own or a special needs child or whatever it might be. They're suddenly either incapable of or irresponsible to handle a position like that, can can there be a means by which contingencies can be built into a estate plan to prepare for those kind of gotchas? Or does this really come down to needing to revisit the details of your estate plan with some degree of regularity? It's a combination of both. One, yes, you can build into a trust into a will into a durable power of attorney where you're naming and the, and the person you name in these positions uh, such as uh, trustee executor attorney in fact it's called a fiduciary in other words the person is acting in your best interest so if you name for example husband wife they set up a revocable trust the two of them are co-trustees date of death of the first spouse the survivor is to act as the successor trustee but then the question comes up well but what happens one if at the date of death of the first spouse the survivor is incapacitated and can't act then who would act as successor trustee and the point is there is no right or wrong answer typically you want to name if you're naming an individual someone of a younger generation than yourself just to make sure primarily they're here that doesn't always necessarily mean they will be and then also to go one step further and say, but if they are not here, then who? And the same thing holds true for an executor. You have an alternate, and then you have a successor alternate, or under a durable power of attorney. Likewise, you may say, well, you know, but I, I, I don't have any close family members or, or friends. Then who should I have? You can seek out the use of a corporate fiduciary. In other words, a trust company or a bank that has a trust department. And many individuals will say, well, they're very impersonal, what have you. Uh, you know, they're, they're professional. And it doesn't mean that all trust departments are the same. They aren't any more than individuals are the same. You need to do your own research, do an interview process, and make certain that whoever you're naming, number one, that you can trust, that you can have confidence in their skill set, and make certain that they are knowledgeable. Many clients will many times where they'll have two adult children, they'll say, oh, we want to name them as co-trustees. Can we do that? And the answer is yes. But do I recommend that? As a general rule, no. Not because it necessarily 
two individuals, you, you can't trust them. It's the issue of if you have two adult children acting as co-trustees, the general rule is they both have to act together unless you have specific provisions in the trust agreement stating that one can act independently of the other. And then many times a parent will say, well, but wait, I don't want them. I want them to always work together. Well, what if they disagree? Then you have to have a dispute resolution in the document. And, you know, many clients start throwing up their their hands in the air and saying, gee, I, I don't know what to do. What do other people do? And my answer is other people ask the same question. <laughs> and so it is our process. And, you know, and some of the just discussions that you and I have had, it, it takes time. And it's the process causing people and that's why we hand out a questionnaire in advance of an initial consultation because it causes people to think through issues that they haven't otherwise given any thought to in advance and you know it's so important because circumstances can change and i mean anybody that's been around for more than a day or two uh, i think will perhaps with some hesitation regardless acknowledge the fact that death and money tends to change people. And even the harmony that you see between your son and daughter today and think, you know, we want them to work together and make decisions together about, you know, uh, how how our personal possessions will be divided amongst the family and things of this sort. And so, you know, let's just uh, make the provision in the will that they have to work together. Well, now what happens if suddenly one of them is fighting or they can't make an agreement? Uh, These are details that you really need to sort of be thinking about. And this is why I'm I'm trying to kind of underscore here the notion that you spend a lifetime building a family, building assets, creating a legacy that you'd like to pass on. You have to take the time to make sure that you're thinking through all of the what ifs, could be's as you prepare your estate plan and then make sure you stay on top of it. Listen, if you did a trust 10 years ago, you're probably five years and maybe even <laughs> maybe even more than that too late for having it revisited. And it doesn't mean you have to rewrite the document entirely from scratch, but if there's been changes in the family, you know, at the time you wrote the estate plan, you only had three grandchildren. Do you intend to leave the fourth one out? Of course not, but you forgot to name them. There's another aspect, too, that I want to talk about when we come back after a break, and that is what happens if you have a special needs child? Can you make provisions for them? Or, God forbid, you're doing your estate plan today. You don't intend for something to happen, but you and mom head off on that beautiful cruise and the boat sinks. Your son is 18 years old. Do you really want to have an 18-year-old with access to several hundred thousand dollars in cash? Would they dutifully manage it? Or go out and buy the cherry red Corvette? Can you make provisions to make sure that there's some controls on all of that until they get to an age where they're a little bit more mature? We'll find out next. With us today, estate planning attorney Frank Parrish. Information on the web at parrishestatelaw.com or call 925-588-0300. That's 925-588-0300. And I know, listen, right now, 
we're thinking about Christmas shopping. You're trying to decide whether you're going to get me a red tie or a green tie for Christmas. All of those important details. Don't let the conversation that you're listening to tonight escape your mind as you get through the holidays and say, well, January comes, I'm going to be sure to do this. And then before you know it, we've turned the corner to January of 2025 and you still haven't done it yet. The sooner you plan, and with the old adage, Frank alluded to this, you know, people don't plan to fail, but sometimes they fail to plan, and in doing so, can really create havoc, not only in terms of upsetting your desires, but creating real problems for your heirs. So the good steward will recognize the need to be responsible on such matters, and even if you just call today and say, hey, let me set up an appointment, and uh, we'll set it for after the first of the year, do it now while it's fresh in your mind. Frank Parrish, again, ParrishEstateLaw.com, 925-5880-300. Time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Home stretch on hour number one. Don't forget another hour straight ahead coming your way at 6.05. But right now we continue taking a look at estate planning with estate planning attorney Frank Parrish. Frank, uh, let's talk about two things quickly. First, uh, for the parent that has a special needs son or daughter, is an estate plan an effective means by which you can make sure that that child is cared for? Absolutely. And you need to obviously take special care in having it properly drafted. It's called, the technical term is called a special needs trust. And it's drafted so that you make certain, if you, there's a handicapped child with major learning disabilities, what have you, you want to make certain that if that child is it qualifies for governmental assistance, and many do. You don't want the inheritance that that child will receive or the, the, the potential of an inheritance that that child would receive at your passing. You don't want that to disqualify that special needs child from getting governmental assistance. I mean, currently, the law is structured where if an individual with, just say, with a major developmental uh, disability problems, uh, just say mental disability problems, physical disability problems, if you leave assets to that child, whether it's a minor child or an adult child at your date of death, and it isn't structured in a particularly designed trust that is defined as a special needs trust, if you leave it to that child just in trust for their benefit, the governmental assistance may be completely cut off until they consume all of their inherited assets, and then they have to reapply through their guardian or conservator to to receive governmental assistance. By comparison, if a parent, husband and wife, set up in their own revocable trust, a sub-trust called a special needs trust that goes into effect at the date of death of the surviving spouse for the benefit of their child. The benefits that that child currently or in the future will be receiving from the government will not 
those benefits, uh, the the inheritance that they would receive from the parent will not disqualify that child from receiving governmental benefits. All right, let's pivot to my other question, and I know this is a scenario that that once or twice a parent has thought about. But when you're when you're putting the estate plan together, you say, well, of course we want the money to be split evenly between the kids. But what happens if, unfortunately, when mom and dad pass away, the kids have just turned eighteen, and your son is really into race cars, and now now you've got an 18-year-old who inherits a sizable estate, and there's a few hundred grand sitting there um, in, in an account somewhere. And that temptation to get over the tragic loss of mom and dad uh, by being distracted with the bright cherry red Corvette is just overwhelming. Are there ways in which you can put provisions baked into your estate plan that would not deprive that child, per se, of access to the funds if they needed them, but to make sure that the decision to buy the cherry red uh, Corvette would be something that they would be prevented from doing until a ways down the road when they're perhaps a bit more mature to uh, ponder such possible large purchases. Yes, there are absolute clear-cut ways that a parent or a grandparent, for that matter, can easily create in their own estate plan an effective uh, asset management regime whereby uh, just because an individual turns 18 and is legally determined in the state of California or 21 by national standards to be an adult does not mean that they're mature enough to manage or know how to manage an inheritance. And so as a result of that, you can establish in a revocable trust that you've established during your own lifetime, subtrusts for the benefit of minor children or future adult children, however you want to structure it, you can still provide that each child will share in an equal portion of your estate, but when those assets will be distributed to them and how they will be distributed to them, you can tailor to the specific needs and age increments of each of your children or grandchildren. So, so while you treat children equally, it doesn't mean that it's all going to be distributed outright. You can tailor it however you so choose. So at the end of the day, an estate plan can really be a very powerful tool, provided that it is created properly, funded properly, kept current as necessary, and that, uh, as I suggested before, this is not a do-it-yourself kind of scenario. And I know there's a lot of temptation to just go online and say, look, I got a will done for $82. <laughs> you know, And, and yeah. you're going to allow it to drive the value of a multi-million dollar estate. Probably not the best idea. And Craig, in many cases, exactly that attitude will end up costing them more than if they would have had it properly done to begin with. Yeah, un undoubtedly but, so. Now you say, okay, guys, wow, my head is spinning. Uh, sounds like we've got some work to do. Uh, make a call, uh, even if you don't set up an appointment until after the first of the year. At least it will put it on the top of your agenda for 2024. Whether you have no plan in place whatsoever or a plan that was done five years ago or older, Take advantage of the opportunity. Frank's a great guy, very knowledgeable, as, as undoubtedly you've heard tonight. So give him a call at 925-588-0300. That's 925 925- 
or online at parishestatelaw.com. That's parishestatelaw.com. He's got several offices around the Bay Area and a great guy to sit down with, walk you through all the options and, and help guide you through making the decisions that are best for you and your family. Frank Parrish, we appreciate so much the time and the insights. Six o'clock from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.